Hello all and welcome to episode 19 of the podcast. This is and indeed I am the Dream Filter. Today we will close our four-part focus on the 1999 Kosovo War, the 78-day NATO Blitzkrieg on Yugoslavia, March 24th to June 10th. Last week we focused explicitly on Operation Allied Force. The US-led onslaught, up until the end of April, about halfway through it. If you haven't heard last week's podcast, do so. You could also listen in on the one before it, and the one before that. Now we shall continue our specific focus on Operation Allied Force, picking up from where we left off last week. On April 28, 1999, Senator Joe Lieberman was quoted in a Washington Post article titled Marches Strut Support for Independent Kosovo. In it, he said the United States of America and the Kosovo Liberation Army stand for the same human values and principles. Dot, dot, dot. Fighting for the KLA is fighting for human rights and American values. A revealing quote, to say the least. On April 30, six civilians, including three children, were killed when NATO hit a bridge in the mountain settlement of Moreno, Montenegro. You can access photos of the child victims, names and ages of all victims and photos of the destruction at www.balkaninsight.com slash en slash article slash families minus of minus NATO minus victims minus in minus Montenegro minus still minus wait minus four minus justice. Humanitarian Intervention This came three days after the Alliance bombed a town in South Serbia called Sordolisha. Remember that name. You'll hear it again. Killing 16 to 20 civilians, including 11 children. The victims including nine fatalities in one house, were slain at about midday in a residential area. CNN reporter Alessio Vinci visited the village in the immediate aftermath, largely to whitewash the crime as an unavoidable part of a humanitarian crusade. The following is a quote from a resident in an article from the day after. I heard two explosions far away. Then the bombing started. All in all, I heard ten explosions. After I heard the planes going away, I ran out to see what happened. I was the first one here. It was horrible. There were body parts all around. NATO would say in a subsequent statement that it, quote, does not target civilians, but we cannot exclude harm to civilians or to civilian property during our air operations over Yugoslavia." Good ol' NATO, the good guys. On May 1st, a passenger bus was hit by NATO rockets as it crossed a bridge in the Kosovan village of Lutsana blowing it in half and killing 46, including 14 children. According to a BBC article published a day later, General Klaus Naumann, chairman of NATO's military committee, expressed regret. Paul Watson, LA Times, also had an article published a day later when the details of the crime were still unclear, titled NATO bombs civilian bus causing scenes of horror. You can find it at 
www.articles.latimes.com slash 1999 slash MAY slash 02 slash news slash MN minus 33305. Early in the article, Watson wrote of how NATO officials had routinely used the term collateral damage since the start of the campaign as a sterile euphemism for the death and destruction they had wrought. I'll now read a section from the back half of the article describing the scene of the bus atrocity. Dot, dot, dot. NATO's daily slow-motion replays of air attacks videotaped from a pilot's eye view high above the targets might leave the impression of a bloodless war fought with smart bombs. This is what Saturday's attack looked like from the ground. The explosion threw a passenger's arm at least 75 yards from the bridge. From the slender fingers and long polished nails, it was obviously a woman's. Closer to the bus's rear section, mangled pieces of passengers' bodies lay twisted among bent window frames, seat cushions and luggage. One piece of luggage was a black carry-on bag with the label USA 1902 Russell Athletic stitched across the top. It was full of cartons of Lucky Strike cigarettes, a cherished commodity in Yugoslavia because NATO blew up one of the country's largest cigarette factories weeks ago. Two of the corpses were in military uniforms, one of which was the olive drab of a reservist. Around the severed child's arm that lay alone were the things a mother might pack for a short journey. There were onions and boiled potatoes, bags of ground coffee and orange-flavored vitamin C tablets, and 70 German marks that might have blown away if they hadn't been weighed down by mud. Besides the bus wreckage, a small crackling fire was slowly consuming three bodies, two of which were lying on their backs with fists raised, as if grasping at the air. Under the bridge, a few yards from a jar of Nivier cream, a bottle of hairspray, a deck of cards and a TV remote control, there was a small crater. Two aluminum, brackets, sick, fins from whatever was fired at the bridge were stuck in the ground along with broken pieces of a circuit board. The same telltale signs found after other NATO airstrikes across Kosovo. NATO's bombing continued well into Saturday night and frequently shook the Pristina hospital, even as frantic people gathered to see if any of their relatives were wounded or killed in the bus. One woman, in tears at the hospital's gate around 5pm, thought her son might have been a passenger because he left the bus station in Belgrade, the capital of Serbia and Yugoslavia, at 9am. Long after he should have arrived in Pristina, his mother couldn't find him. Dot, dot, dot. Twelve Romani and several Albanians were also killed by a separate NATO assault on the same day in the South Kosovan city of Prizren. Remember, none of these incidents were in isolation. While I'm telling you about most of the big ones, the smaller ones, with less victims, are far too numerous to mention. On May 4th, 17 civilians and 6 security personnel died when a bus was hit at a checkpoint in Savina Vood, a Kosovan village. You can read another Paul Watson piece, May 4th, LA Times, for more info. It's titled, NATO Bombs Kill 17 More Civilians, www.articles.latimes.com slash 1999 slash MAY slash 04 slash news slash MN-33750. In it, 
He describes the scene and the plight of a teenage girl who, traveling to catch up with her fiance, survived the blast, but was left paralyzed, her spine severed by a piece of shrapnel. The crime occurred at about midday and followed an overnight NATO blitz that left 70% of Yugoslavia without electricity and in urgent need of repair. NATO promptly denied it had targeted civilians and said little about the strike, with media such as the Irish Times playing along as if it was an open case. Bus deaths claimed disputed by NATO was their May 4th headline. However, examination of bomb fragments made it easy even for Human Rights Watch to officially recognize NATO as the culprit. I'll now read you a section from a May 9th article by Anthony De Palma of the New York Times titled Crisis in the Balkans, Montenegro. Air war hurts stability of a Yugoslav Republic. It was a beguiling promise to live better that helped Montenegro's governing coalition win power last year. But few people in this ancient city would say their lives are better now than before. The sprawling OBOD electronics plant here, which employs 2,500 people, has been shut down completely since NATO's bombardment of Serbia cut off the market where 90% of the plant's air conditioners, washing machines and refrigerators were sold. The last time workers were paid was in February, and what they received then was December's salary. With no money circulating, small shopkeepers like Marko Stevov Kalusherovic have had to extend credit to so many people that they too are in danger of going under. Then they can count me as another casualty of the war, Mr. Kalusharovic said. The economy of Montenegro, which is joined with Serbia in the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, was already severely weakened before the bombardment began. And although Montenegro has never recognized Belgrade's declaration that a state of war now exists, it has suffered several NATO bombardments that have shocked and angered residents who thought they would be protected because of Montenegro's fledgling connections to the West. Adds to that volatile mix the economic disruptions and problems sure to be caused by the recently imposed embargo on oil for Serbia coming through Montenegro's Adriatic ports, and the stress fractures challenging the tiny republic's stability threaten to break wide open. Dot, dot, dot. On May 7th, around midday, NATO planes dropped cluster bombs on the southern Serbian city of Nis, the third biggest in Yugoslavia, hitting a food market and hospital, killing 15, injuring 60, damaging infrastructure and littering the area with unexploded cluster ordnance. Meanwhile, US Defense Secretary William Cohen ordered the deployment of an extra 170 aircraft for use against Yugoslavia, while the House of Representatives approved an extra $13 billion for the ongoing campaign. May 7th also saw NATO drop five guided bombs onto the Chinese embassy in Belgrade, killing three Chinese journalists. It would later emerge the strike was called solely by the CIA, the only such one during the entire campaign. This was admitted by CIA Director George Tenet in a July 22 statement before the House Intelligence Committee. There is a lot of solid, if circumstantial evidence, indicating that it was no accident. If you'd like to know more, there's an October 17th article, 1999, titled NATO bombed Chinese deliberately. NATO hit embassy on purpose. 
It's from The Guardian and was the culmination of a four-month investigation involving Danish newspaper Politiken and The Observer, a sister paper of The Guardian. It is at www.theguardian.com slash world slash 1999 slash OCT slash 17 slash Balkans. Needless to say, the revelation was either dismissed or largely ignored by the rest of mainstream media. On May 10th, amid substantial Chinese outreach at NATO despite a belated, quantified apology from Bill Clinton, President Milosevic of Yugoslavia announced a cessation of attacks against the KLA and partial withdrawal of his forces from Kosovo. This was likely in response to a group of eight meeting a few days prior in Germany, in which Russia, incensed at what had been happening to their Serbian brethren and Cezren, began to collaborate with NATO, if in a rather constrained manner. Did you hear that? Cezren. I invented that word especially for all of you brainwashed morons out there who take offense at the fact that, until now, there's been no female equivalent of the word brethren. While disagreements remained about several key issues, on May 6th, the countries of the G8, seven Western powers plus Russia, developed a seven-point plan for a political settlement to the conflict, referred to by some as principles which would achieve Yugoslavian capitulation and an eventual cessation to the NATO campaign. It would be presented to the UN Security Council for ratification, which, on May 14th, was initially addressed within the context of Resolution 1239, a follow-on from several earlier resolutions. If you're interested in seeing these, principles. You can access them online. That Russia and NATO were now on speaking terms about Yugoslavia was mentioned by Clinton in a speech on May 13th for the veterans of foreign wars of the United States, Fort McNair, Maryland. After a long-winded, sanctimonious propaganda-laden talk, during which he may have been felated by an unseen party under his desk or from within his lectern, the president said the following, dot, dot, dot. Now, last week, despite our differences over the NATO action in Kosovo, Russia joined us through the G8 foreign ministers in affirming our basic condition for ending the conflict, in affirming that the mass expulsion of the Kosovars cannot stand. We and Russia agreed that the international force ideally should be endorsed by the United Nations, as it was in Bosnia. And we do want Russian forces along with those of other nations, to participate because a Russian presence will help to reassure the Serbs who live in Kosovo, and they will need some protection too, after all that has occurred. Dot, dot, dot. Later in his address, Clinton expressed counterfeit grief for the victims of NATO's Blitzkrieg before repeating the monster of all lies. Dot, dot, dot. I grieve for the loss of the innocent Chinese and for their families. I grieve for the loss of the innocent Serbian civilians and their families. I grieve for the loss of the innocent Kosovars who were put into a military vehicle that our people thought was a military vehicle, and they've often been used as shields. But I ask you to remember the stories I told you earlier. There are thousands of people that have been killed systematically by the Serb forces. 
There are 100,000 people who are still missing. We must remember who the real victims are here and why this started. Dot, dot, dot. The next day, NATO committed its greatest crime of the war. At least 87 Kosovan Albanians were killed and 60 others injured near Karisa, South Kosovo, when it bombed a convoy of refugees. NATO would go on to admit culpability and express... Come on. You know the magic word. It starts with R and is friends with collateral damage. You were only teasing, weren't you? You do know it. Regret. On May 15th, this was expressed at a press conference by NATO spokesman Peter Daniel and Major General Walter Jertz. Daniel saying, NATO deeply regrets any accidental civilian casualties that may have resulted from this attack. When Jertz spoke, it was to say the refugee column was a, quote, legitimate military target. A similar statement was also made by Pentagon spokesman Ken Bacon. On May 16th, German radio station Deutsche Welle broadcast an interview with a purported survivor of the bombing, who alleged that Yugoslav forces had herded hundreds of Albanians into a military facility for use as human shields. This allegation would be regurgitated within a day or two by Bacon. On May 17th, NATO spokesman Jamie Shear also began to run with the human shield narrative. At a press conference in Brussels, he outlined several alleged incidents of Yugoslav forces using Albanians as human shields. Of course, the mainstream media began to run the story uncritically with the usual promulgation outlets such as the BBC, CNN and New York Times, among others, leading the charge. Friends, a conundrum. I'm not denying that Yugoslav forces may have used human shields during the conflict, but all we have is the word of NATO and mainstream media. Even a proven pathological liar may give you the truth here or there, if only by accident. A broken watch will tell you the time twice a day. If the government media complex of the West could be classified as a pathologically dishonest psychotic, a fair call, then how can we identify those occasions when they're actually saying the truth? The narrative that Yugoslav forces used Albanians as human shields in the bombing near Karissa is disputed. A Baltimore Sun article by Will England, June 20th, titled Refugees Call Corissa a Setup, Serbs Locked Them Up to Die, Survivors Say, gave names, ages, and personal recollections that incriminate Serbs. The fact of the matter, however, is that a leap of faith is necessary to take the paper's word for it that the names, Quotes and recollections within were not altered, or even invented in order to shill for NATO, and absolve it of blame. How can we know for sure? Maybe this article just happens to be fair and accurate. But how can we know? Looking for the truth is like wading through a muddy swamp in search of something that you're not even sure is there. I'll now read you the start of an article from Richard Norton Taylor, The Guardian, May 17th, in the immediate aftermath of the bombing, titled, with all but one word in inverted commas, Victims Used as Human Shields. The subtitle is Propaganda, Battle of Words Intensifies Over NATO Attack on Village. This account contradicts what would be claimed in the Baltimore Sun a month later. Dot, dot, dot.
Questions about NATO's midnight attack on the Kosovo village of Korisa, where 87 ethnic Albanians were reported killed, remained unanswered yesterday as those killed were fast becoming victims of a ferocious propaganda war. NATO officials said it had identified the site attacked on Thursday night as a military target. They said it consisted of a static command post. With an armored personnel carrier, 10 pieces of artillery, and a dug in military position. However, Western journalists taken to the scene by Serb authorities said the site was an open field. There were no signs of military activity, and the only visible vehicles were tractors. One reporter said the only sign of buildings she could see was a small ceramic factory. And a nearby barn. A Pentagon spokesman, Ken Bacon, insisted over the weekend that pictures of the damage done showed defensive walls surrounded by camouflaged artillery emplacements. A survivor said the only Serbian officials present before the attack were police who guarded them after ordering them into a building. The villagers had been trying to flee to Albania during a Serb military attack, apparently on KLA supporters, when they were forced to return to the village. John Speller, the junior defense minister, referring to survivors' reports, said yesterday that the ethnic Albanians had been herded into concentrated areas within the village and held there until the NATO attack. Took place. He added, We do not yet know the reason why civilians were at this location at the time of the attack, but it increasingly appears likely, however, that the civilians were used as human shields. Jamie Shear, NATO's spokesman, echoed the claim. We know we are up against an adversary that has no scruples when it comes to using civilians as human shields. But they are not going to stop us continuing this air operation. A Yugoslav Foreign Ministry spokesman, Milisav Paik, dismissed suggestions that the Serbs were using human shields as crazy. Dot, dot, dot. Even Human Rights Watch found no evidence or motive to support the claim that human shields had been used in this incident. You can read its summation under the title Displaced Civilians in the Korisa Woods, Kosovo, at www.hrw.org/slash reports/slash 2000/slash NATO. Slash capital N A T B M two zero zero minus zero one dot htm. To summarize this atrocity within the context of the broader operation, I shall read you the start of another great article from Fair, June first, nineteen ninety nine, by Philip Hammond, titled "NATO's Propaganda War." A good day," said NATO on 14 May, when it killed at least 87 ethnic Albanian refugees in the village of Korisa and injured a hundred more. What would constitute a bad day for NATO? The bullish response was part of an increasingly strident propaganda campaign in which each new bloody accident. Is offset by repeated atrocity stories about the Serbs and pictures of the plight of refugees. We do not target civilians, says NATO spokesman Jamie Shear. Yet it stretches credibility to describe all NATO attacks on civilians as accidents. The bombs that hit Nice Marketplace on 3 May, for example. Were cluster bombs designed to kill and maim people with shrapnel, although the stated target was an airport runway. Similarly, when NATO hit a bus on 1 May, killing 47 people, 
Was it also an accident that NATO aircraft returned for a second strike, hitting an ambulance and injuring medical staff at the scene? It is certain at least that the attack on the television building in Belgrade was carried out in the full knowledge that civilians were inside. NATO's definition of a legitimate military target is flexible enough to include homes, schools and hospitals. The catalogue of disastrous accidents presents a challenge for NATO spin doctors. The protocol is to start by blaming the Serbs. When US State Department spokesman James Rubin suggested the refugees at Corissa may have been hit by Serb shells, not NATO bombs, he was following a procedure established over civilian bomb damage to Pristina and the bombing of the Jakovica refugee convoy. Both were initially pinned on the Serbs, in the hope that the first headlines would make a lasting impression. After promising a thorough investigation, NATO then admits some culpability, but continues to hint that the enemy is really to blame. In the case of Corissa, this was accomplished by claiming the refugees were being used as human shields. According to Western reporters at the scene, there was no military target at Corissa. Yet the Serbs apparently knew the village would be bombed on 14 May, and therefore hurried to repopulate it, just in time. Dot, dot, dot. The bombing temporarily slowed in mid-May due to poor weather, but the atrocities and destruction went on as talk of a NATO ground invasion took hold. For more info on the last point, and I can't guarantee that it's not complete propaganda, you could peruse a retrospective New York Times article from November 7th, 1999, titled NATO was closer to ground war in Yugoslavia than is widely realized, by Stephen Elanger. May 19 was a big day for the North Atlantic Terrorist Organization. Just after midnight, four aircraft dropped eight laser-guided bombs over the Dead Inja district, Belgrade. At least one hit the Dragiza Misovic hospital, killing three civilian patients and seven military personnel. A surgery and clinic were leveled heavy damage inflicted upon a children's ward. Dozens were wounded, including staff and a woman in labor. Children and pregnant women were then evacuated. There's a hard-hitting article on this, available online at The Guardian from May 21st, 1999. It has two people in the byline and is titled Belgrade's Bitter at Hospital Bombing. Targets. NATO accused of cynicism after stray missile kills three in intensive care unit. On the same day, three women in Jinilani, eastern Kosovo, were wiped out and a nearby man suffered fatal injuries when the terror group launched a morning airstrike on an agricultural complex. For names of these victims, found in a yellow info box halfway down, and other reports about NATO attacks that had recently occurred, check out the website www.arhiva.glas-javnosti.rs slash arhiva slash 1999 slash 05 slash 20 slash en minus latest minus news minus 0519.html which has a May 20th English language article in Glas Javnosti, a Belgrade-based paper. May 19th also featured an incident in which both NATO and Serbian forces appear to be culpable, although details remain disputed. 
During the daytime attack, NATO struck the Dobrava prison in Istok, East Kosovo, killing at least 19 prisoners. The same complex had been struck two days prior, killing three prisoners and a guard. From a purported overall tally of 23, a final figure of a hundred, mainly Albanian prisoners, would emerge. Yugoslav authorities claimed all of them were victims of NATO, and that the initial estimate given in Serbian and other media was grossly understated. Meanwhile, Western establishment media would later claim that Serbian forces had committed a massacre of prisoners after the bombing to pin it on NATO, thus inflating the death toll for propaganda purposes. If you'd like to read an article on this, there's one online from November 8th, 1999 by Carlotta Gall of The New York Times. Again, I can't guarantee that it's not a propaganda piece, at least in part. The title is Stench of Horror Lingers in a Prison in Kosovo. On May 24th, two days after it wiped out up to 70 of its KLA buddies in a friendly fire strike on the outpost of Kozera on the Kosovan-Albanian border, NATO renewed its focus on the Yugoslav power grid, leaving two-thirds of the country without electricity. To place this into context, I will read from a Chicago Tribune article by Tom Hunsley, May 26th, 1999, available online, titled, Yugoslav Civilians Feeling the Pain. Belgrade Yugoslavia. Zivana Stusik was not a happy housewife as she set out to lug two five-gallon containers of water up the stairs to her 11th floor apartment. With no electricity for the previous 72 hours, the elevator in her building didn't work. There was no water coming out of the tap, and the food in the freezer was about to spoil. Dot, dot, dot. If we don't get electricity in a few hours, I'll have to start cooking 30 kilos, brackets, 66 pounds, of meat from the freezer, she said. Every day it gets harder and harder. And that, apparently, is what NATO is counting on. With the air campaign in its 64th day, Wednesday, Ordinary people in Yugoslavia are starting to feel the pain. NATO insists it is not waging war against the civilian population of Yugoslavia. But NATO officials have said they believe that putting pressure on civilians will undermine the regime. Knocking out electrical power for 70% of the country obviously has far more impact on civilians than it does on the Yugoslav military, which has its own generators. In a series of attacks that began Saturday, NATO severely damaged five key power plants that supply electricity for all of Yugoslavia and parts of Bosnia-Herzegovina and Croatia. The attacks on the power system also have left Belgrade and other cities with a severe water shortage. Belgrade is down to the last 8% of its reserves, according to city officials. Bread was suddenly in short supply Tuesday because bakeries lacked power for their ovens. Dot, dot, dot. If the power disruptions worsen, the consequences will be more serious than a freezer filled with spoiled meat. Hospitals are given priority allocation of available power, and most have their own generators. But fuel and spare parts for the generators are in short supply. Zoran Mikik, 26, lives with his mother, who has been unable to undergo her dialysis treatments because of the power shortages. We were supposed to go today, but they told us there was no power. Let's hope for tomorrow, 
Mikik said. I would like to see how the average American would react to a situation like this, he added bitterly. At the Belgrade Clinic for Child Neurology and Psychiatry, the halls are dark and the beds are empty. Most of the patients have been sent home. Only the most gravely ill are still here. How do you care for patients without water? asked Dr. Dusan Varanyasovic, the head of the clinic. In addition to the lack of electricity and water, and the stress of the nightly air raid sirens, Varanyasovic said he also must cope with a critical shortage of medicines. It is not permitted to use drugs past the expiration date, but I am doing it. Is it better to leave a child without any medication or to give him something that may not be effective? These are the risks I have to take, said the doctor, who clearly has had little sleep over the past few weeks. Why is it that humanitarian organizations are not interested in Serbian children? He asked. I don't have any humanitarian organizations saying to me, Dear doctor, do you need anything? And I am very upset. At a news conference Tuesday, Serbian Health Minister Liposava Milesevic said that across Serbia there are 9,500 patients in intensive or semi-intensive care, 3,000 patients a day in need of dialysis, and 300 infants in incubators, all of whom are at risk because of the power shortages. She accused NATO of genocide against hospital patients and healthcare workers. In the last 24 hours, how many newborn babies have been killed? We don't have that information because the rubble is still being cleared, she said. Dot, dot, dot. On May 27th, the International War Crimes Tribunal indicted President Milosevic and four Yugoslav officials. On May 30th, Trinity Sunday, an Orthodox fiesta, NATO hit a bridge in Vavarin, a central Serbian village. The daytime assault killed 10 civilians, injured 17 and blew several cars into the river. Witnesses reported seeing rescue teams come under further attack. A day later, NATO spokesman Jamie Shear said the bridge, 20 kilometers from any military installation, 200 from the Kosovan border, was a legitimate military target. For victim names and photos taken prior, including a girl described as a brilliant mathematics student, among other documentation, go to serbiasos.blogspot.com slash 2012 slash 05 slash nato minus killed minus 10 minus civilinas minus 17 minus severely dot html you'll also see a photo of a civilian who'd been cut in half by a nato bomb in a separate incident to see a photo of a victim from the bridge, try serbiasos.blogspot.com slash 2012 slash 06 slash herr minus harald minus kampffmeyer minus germany minus sued.html. On this page, you'll see a caption with the name and a photo of the victim post-bombing. His leg severed, body and face distorted, lying in a pool of his own blood. NATO. The good guys. Late on May 30th, NATO again bombed Sorolisha, leveling a sanatorium and retirement home in a two-missile attack, killing over 20 people. For a graphic, personal account of the scene, including names and stories, 
go to www.irishtimes.com slash news slash dirty minus war minus gets minus even minus dirtier minus as minus sanatorium minus bombed minus one dot one nine one zero five two it's an irish times article june first a day after the crime titled Dirty war gets even dirtier as sanatorium bombed. On May 31st, meanwhile, NATO scored a direct hit on an apartment block in a residential area of Novi Pazar, southwestern Serbia, slaughtering 11 civilians and injuring dozens. By the start of June, NATO had flown over 30,000 sorties, half of them on bombing runs. From several dozen daily sorties when the operation began, the terror group was now conducting several hundred. Meanwhile, amid multifaceted ongoing diplomatic activity, Yugoslavia indicated its readiness to accept the principles put forth by the G8, so as to have the bombing halted. On June 3rd, the Yugoslav parliament voted overwhelmingly to accept the so-called peace plan. That very day, in a Belgrade meeting with Finnish president Mati Atisari and Russian emissary Viktor Chernomyrdin, President Milosevic also expressed his acceptance of the plan. The bombing, however, would last another week. For more on this development, go to edition.cnn.com slash capital W, capital O, capital R, capital L, capital D, slash Europe, slash 9906, slash 03, slash Kosovo, dot peace, dot 07, slash index, dot html. The title of the article is Yugoslavia accepts peace deal on Kosovo. Skeptical NATO continues bombing. It's from June 3rd, 1999 and yes, is from CNN. Hygiene. Remember the rule of thumb. If you do consume material from CNN, then find a dark, quiet place. Savor the silence and cleanse. With agreement still not reached on the nature of the withdrawal from Kosovo, NATO went even harder. On June 7th, two B-52 bombers came to the aid of the KLA on Mount Pastrik, near the Kosovan-Albanian border. A battle had been raging there since May 26 when the KLA attacked entrenched Yugoslav forces. And it's now seen as the largest battle of the entire war. Up to a thousand Yugoslav troops were present when NATO dropped cluster bombs. Initial reports labelled it a slaughter, putting the death toll at several hundred. This would become another point of dispute, with the final toll likely no more than a few dozen, and including KLA militants who were also hit by their buddies amid the chaos. For a balanced look at this incident, click onto www.newsweek.com slash n-a-t-o-s minus game minus chicken minus 168728. There you'll find an article titled NATO's Game of Chicken by John Barry, July 25th, 1999. The following day, at a G8 conference in Cologne, the G8 agreed on a draft UN resolution to end the air campaign and secure the capitulation of Yugoslavia. On the same day, President Milosevic reaffirmed his commitment to the plan, which the parliament had also approved. On June 9th, NATO and Yugoslavia signed a ceasefire agreement in Kumanovo, Macedonia, suspending the bombing on the proviso that Yugoslav forces withdraw within 11 days. 
A day later, UN Security Council Resolution 1244 was ratified, making it official. Annex 1 listed the seven principles agreed on by the G8 nations a month prior. Annex 2 listed the key points discussed by the Finnish president and Russian envoy in their meeting with Milosevic a week earlier. If you'd like to scan the resolution, it's not long and you can find it online. That's the end of our focus on the Kosovo War. Next week, we will shift our gaze to the Iraq War, launched in 2003 by the USA and a handful of allies. In that episode, I'll summarize the grim aftermath of the end of Operation Allied Force within the context of the build-up to Iraq. If you'd like some extra reading about Kosovo, I recommend an article by Noam Chomsky, titled Kosovo Peace Accord, July 1999, at chomsky.info slash 199907 underscore slash. It offers clear context after the air campaign to the barbaric, hypocritical and morally bankrupt behavior of the international community, namely NATO and mainstream media, during the conflict. Boys and girls, that shall be all for today. Remember, question everything. Do your own research. Keep a healthy, open mind. And above all, never forget, you've been given an intellect, so use it. Goodbye.